You're listening to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I'm your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as a means to do so. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode five of season three. So glad you're here. So glad you're joining me. And just uh, let me get out of the way before I even begin the fact that if I sound nasally, it's because I am. I've had the inability to breathe normally since spring, and I don't really know what's happening, and nothing I do seems to get rid of it. I feel great. I feel well. It's just I sound awful. (laughs) So forgive me in advance, and if any of you are dealing with the same thing and you've found some way to solve it or figured out what exactly is happening to you, do me a favor. Shoot me a DM over on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. Or you can email me at Dolores at BellaFigurapodcast.com. Okay. (laughs) Desperate times call for desperate measures. So today, right now, it is a beautiful early morning. The sun is out. About to take the, the baby. I keep calling him a baby. My toddler, my son, for a nice walk, get some fresh air. We're gearing up here to head into 4th of July weekend. I'll be down the shore at my eldest brother's shore house. The the shore, if you're in, if you're from the tri-state area, the shore means the Jersey Shore. And um, I'm gonna head down there with my husband and my other brother and my mother and my son, of course, and just calm down for a couple days, take a breather, sit by the water, sit in the sun, enjoy some family, and some relaxation. I hope you're all doing something relaxing and enjoyable as well. Summer certainly is so fleeting and we really need to make the time to slow down and savor it and absorb all of its goodness because it comes and it goes. And if you blink and if you're too distracted, you just miss it. So try your best to use this weekend as a way to really feel summer from your toes to the tip of your head. (laughs) Okay, I want to introduce my guest, Mallory Vaudois. If you're a listener of Bella Figura since season one, you've already heard from Mallory. And if you are a Substack subscriber of mine for uh, my publication, The Tradition of Living Beautifully, just a couple weeks ago, I did an exclusive for paid members only interview with Mallory. And as you would have heard, if you listened to it in that conversation, we got so excited when we came upon the topic of food and cooking as a way of slowing down and connecting to your ancestors and your ancestral culture that we thought we have to do a whole episode on just that topic. And so my friends, here is that episode If you haven't listened to Mallory in season one, I will link to that episode in the show notes. And if you are not yet a subscriber to my publication on Substack, please consider doing so. There are free memberships and paid memberships, and even the paid memberships are very, very affordable. You can be a paid member and get all of the content that I put out for like $5 Uh, and change a month if you pick the yearly option. It's super affordable and easy way to get more of this content and also to show me that my work means something to you and to support me and the work I'm putting out in some small yet certainly very meaningful way. Okay, so let me tell you a little more about Mallory. Mallory Vaudois is a New York City-based spiritualist of Italian descent. She is the author of Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration, and Italian Folk Magic, a blog about devotional practices from Southern Italy and Sicily. She was co-host of Good Bones, a podcast about living and dying well. 
Drawn to folk magic from a young age, her path has required both careful study and wild abandon. Her writing is an act of devotion, an offering to the spiritual ecosystem in which she finds herself. She believes that music, food, wine, and kissing are vital tools of spiritual evolution. Mallory, of course, is one of my favorite people on this earth, and I always love talking to her, and both of us always walk away from our conversations so inspired. And I hope, of course, that all of you do as well. So before we do jump into the episode, just want to mention, of course, my lovely, beautiful sponsor for season three, House of Tokamon. House of Tokamon sources handwoven, non-toxic, natural rugs that bring old world style into your home. I love what Annabelle the owner and founder of House of Tokamon is doing with this company. I love the way she is inspiring and teaching us to learn about these products we're bringing into our home, of course, mainly rugs. I had no idea until I came across House of Tokamon that all of the rugs I had in my house that I bought from online stores, big box stores, were made with all kinds of toxic materials like plastic. Here you are laying on the rugs, your children are playing on the rugs, and they are emitting fumes daily into your home. So Annabelle is here to show you how to pick out a beautiful, authentic vintage rug, but not only that, she sources these rugs made by women around the world for women, and these are rugs that are made to last. These are not throwaway rugs, my friends. Like all of the things that you and I love so much, These are rugs that are made to last. You pass these rugs down to your children. These are heirloom rugs. So head on over to hotrugs.net. I'll also link to that in the show notes and use the code BELLA25 to get 25% off any rug. It's a wonderful promotional offer. I promise you, you are going to want every single rug on her site. Again, that's hotrugs.net and the code is Bella 25. Okay, my friends, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Mallory Voudois. Mallory, welcome back to Bella Figura. Hello, Dolores. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's always my pleasure. You are the first two-time guest on this podcast. She's very excited. That blows my mind. You had so many great people on this podcast. I am am truly honored. Oh, I love that. Yes. And you're one of them. So you were a guest on season one, my, my initial launch. So I'll link if, if anyone listening hasn't listened to that one yet, I'll link to that in the show notes. And then of course, a couple of weeks ago, you and I did a private chat for just my Substack subscribers. And on that, we got so excited about food. <laughs> Obviously, we're both two southern Italian uh two Americans of southern Italian ancestry, but um and we wanted to talk more about that. And initially we were going to do just a Substack thing, which we are doing here. There will be some footage that is private on Substack and you'll have to go over there to hear it, but we were like, you know, let's do a full-blown episode on this for everyone. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> So I wonder if you should tell everyone, you should actually, because I shouldn't assume that everyone has listened to the last episode or even the Substack special that we did a couple of weeks ago. So can you just start by telling everyone a little bit about your roots and the people that you come from? Sure. Uh, So I come from an Italian American family. I grew up in Massachusetts. My mom and the family was from uh, Campania near Montevergine, where uh, there's a, a big temple to Madonna di Montevergine or the Mama Schiavona, who is um, this, you know, force of the feminine divine. Um, and this is, I think, where, where your roots are from as well, Dolores. I think we uh-huh. have this in common. I was going to ask, like, you've um, talked about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. My mother's from that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible area. It's a, you know, a mountainous area. 
and it's really famous for um, the sacred drumming and dance, the tamuriata, which um, I had the opportunity to, to study both here in New York as well as back in the ancestral homeland. Um, and so, you know, big themes are like the land, the divine mother, um, and the food, of course, as well, the, the pasta and the wine. And, uh, you know, as we'll talk about in this episode, a lot of those themes, they might seem like completely separate things uh, to us now, but to our ancestors, they were kind of like one in the same or like mm -hmm. different aspects of the same thing. The, the divine mother is the earth who mm. creates our bodies and then nourishes them with her fruits. We celebrate this through a music and dance practice where a lot of the imagery in the songs and a lot of the imagery in uh, the choreography is actually taken from um, kind of like agricultural inspirations, you know, movements that sort of mimic what it's like to harvest or to make wine or, you know, all of those things. And then on my father's side, my father's side of the family is from Abruzzo. And, you know, there are similar, similar kind of traditions there as well, similar dances and a, a similar emphasis on, on food. It's also similarly a very mountainous region, actually, now that I think about it. There's a lot of like mirroring on both sides of my family, actually. Um, all four of my grandparents, blue eyes. Mm, <laughs> my, wow. and so me and my sister as well, all of us yeah. blue-eyed Italians. I, I've worked over the past couple of years because my family did not preserve a lot of um, our cultural heritage. We didn't preserve the language, the food ways, or the dance or the music, but we did preserve a lot of these like weird elements of the culture in terms of like how we interacted with each other. Mm. And um, I grew up on a commune actually, which was sort of like modeled after a piazza where all of my, my mom's side of the family lived. We didn't live on that uh, that compound, but we did live in the same town. And I spent a lot of my childhood there being raised by, you know, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, mm -hmm. uh, along with my cousins. And then right, very Italian. Uh, extremely Italian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we would, we would literally, we would go grocery shopping in my grandparents' basement because they would just buy everything in bulk. And then we'd go and we'd like pick up, you know, all of this stuff. From That's them. great. My mother, so um, my mother is kind of like that. She, you know, we don't go me and my siblings don't go grocery shopping in her basement full blown, but when anyone is here, we always know you can go in the basement and you get some jars of tomatoes, some bottles of olive oil. Like she always has, it's just like a place you can go and, and kind of restock your pantry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a sacred act too. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I talk about this in my book, I should probably mention, I wrote a book a couple of years ago, uh, because I went on this journey to kind of understand where these weird parts of my family were coming from and to start to learn some of the cultural form that we had forgotten. Uh, so I went on this journey studying the music and the dance and the food and the embroidery and like basically every, every element of it, the spirituality, the religion. After learning a lot about where my family came from, I realized that there were a lot of people, particularly in the United States who had this kind of same feeling of like, you know, hey, I want to develop a spiritual practice about understanding where my ancestors came from and like what that means for me personally, um, but I don't know where to start. And so I wrote a book, Honoring Your Ancestors, which is, um, you know, intended to be for people of any, any ethnic background, any ancestral background, um, to help them forge that connection for themselves by uh, you know, ultimately by realizing that the connection already exists. Mm. It's not, we, we tend to talk about our ancestral ties being severed or like our ancestors are in this remote afterlife area where we can't access them. Um, but in reality, they're here and, and around us and infusing us just by starting to look at things a different way and to ask the right questions. I think that's how you can begin to uh, deepen your ancestral practices or your, your spiritual connection to your ancestors. And then once you, you know, light that candle and say that prayer, in my experience and the experience of hundreds of people who have contacted me after reading the book, um, you know, if they want you to learn about the food, they will send you the recipes, right? You know, if they want mm -hmm. you to learn about the dance, they will send you the teacher. And so, um, you know, magical synchronous stuff starts to happen when you reach back, they reach forward. Mm, well said. Yes. 
yeah, kind of this idea of you, you have the desire, even if you don't know where to start, you start and then things get placed in your path that take you. I mean, I think this is kind of so much of life and passion. It's just go forth and then doors open for you where you exactly. wouldn't have seen them before. And, and this is definitely part of it. So, yeah. So it's, it's always interesting when you and I have conversations, whether it's recorded ones or just, you know, texting or over the phone, because we do have different experiences in that, in that respect, you know, you have, um, you have spent most of your adult life and, and career in, in one, one side of your career, your kind of creative career, finding these traditions. And I was very much raised with them. Mm-hmm. And they were a big part of my life. And my journey has, I think, more been how can I live in this world with this modern streak that I have and incorporate these things? For me, so much when I was younger was this kind of like either or had to be, I, I don't know if I made that up somewhere along the line, or if the society used to be more like that, you know, am I making sense? I mean, you used to like, now you can be like, I don't know, a poet and an athlete and like a mom and a businesswoman. And, but you used to just kind of have to pick one. It felt like, or I, I felt this pressure. So it was like, am I modern or am I old school? You know, am I old world or am I like into the current fashion and I like the city. I don't know. I, I couldn't. So I, I, I don't feel like I have to pick so much anymore, but this thing with my ancestry and my roots and my culture, it did feel like I had to pick and it was very hard for me. You know, I, I didn't know if I was American or Italian felt like I was both it's funny because we have such different backgrounds in, in many ways, but at the same time, I think what you just described, Dolores, is like, it is a stage that everybody goes through, like a process that everybody goes through in their ancestral spiritual practice, um, because we are not our ancestors, mm. right? Like we're not, by definition, we're not living in the same moment and time as they are. So we can learn from them and you know, our, our, you know, our body is their body. Like we, we came from them, but at the same time, it's not as easy as just, um, playing. Have you ever heard of the society for creative anachronism? Like we're not here to, it's not like we're here to pretend that we're living in ancient Greece or, um, you know, living in 18th century Southern Italy. Like we're, we're here today at this time and place, we chose to be incarnated, I believe, Mm -hmm. at this particular time and place. And so we have access to this like vast repertoire of ancestral knowledge, but at the same time, how and when we choose to apply it and what we choose to supplement it with is entirely up to our discretion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eloquently put, it's it's not about this kind of romance and nostalgia for times that have bygone times. Although, I mean, I, I think I'm definitely guilty of that at times. Um, but it's about being where we are now in the world we're in now and holding on or, or being, I should say like the continuation of those traditions. And, um, one, one thing for me that was really helped me, um, was, a woman called, she's been on the show as well, Shay Elliott. I'm not sure if you've heard of her, but she has become a a good friend now at this point, which is great. But when I found her work, she's not Italian, but she has, she's known for having a farm and, you know, being really interested in like clean, good home cooking. She's really into her family. She's really into being grounded in nature. And when I first found her work, I was like, that, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how I can do it. She, I like to tell her, you're like the American version of me. (laughs) And and it was the first time I, I feel like I found somebody who was doing the things I had grown up around and Mm -hmm. who wasn't Italian. I don't know if that sounds crazy to listeners, but, and she was doing it in like a modern 
way that it, that it was a key for me, you know, and you find these people. And I mean, I know you've been that person for people. I, I know I have been for people as well, because they write you and they tell you, and it's an honor. And I, and I, I'm so glad. Right. And that's what you need. The people who come in and kind of give you this glimpse like, Oh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the reasons why, um, why food in particular is an extraordinarily potent, uh, symbol and, and practice for, for those of us who have some kind of like, uh, you know, who are cultivating a spiritual connection with our ancestors, because, food it is at once sacred to our ancestors and sacred to the spirits of the place that we live on mm-hmm. you know like nobody most of us are going to be eating some combination of like local food hopefully that was grown on whatever land we're living on and then also maybe incorporating some of the foods or the spices or the you know the recipes from our ancestral heritage and then other things as well you know uh, the the cultures that we come into contact wherever sure. we are, the things that inspire us. And so, um, you know, in, in many ways, I think that the, you know, the, the spiritual groups that are like the most important uh, are the ancestors, the spirits of the land that you live on, and then your own spirit. And all three of those are activated when you're in the kitchen. Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about, let's, let's just dive in since we did want to talk about want the umbrella topic here to be food. How, how do those three things come together in the kitchen? You mentioned the spirit of the, your ancestors, the spirit of the land you live on and your own spirit, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. How do those three come together in the kitchen? Yeah. So your, your own spirit is kind of directing the process. You're picking what it is that you're going to, uh, you're picking the ingredients usually unless you're getting your groceries delivered or something mm-hmm. you're when you're at the farmer's market or at the grocery store you know you don't just well I don't just pick whatever random pepper I reach for first I'm going to like investigate them yep. and you know see which one looks the best which one I vibe with yep. I'm that person um, too yeah yeah and so you're <laughs> you're like having a conversation it's with true. these you know, uh, you know, produce and meat, like this is, this is the land that is coming at you right now, the fruits of the land. And so um, that's your spirit kind of connecting with the spirit of the land. Um, You may be working more with um, local and seasonal ingredients because, um, you know, unless the market is being manipulated by government subsidies, which unfortunately today often is, should be the most accessible to you. Um, so the most, you know, affordable and plentiful, um, right. Whatever's in shopping season. Like a, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. When you go to a farmer's market in particular, like whatever's in season is what's there, you know, <laughs> that's exactly. what you're buying. Um, or if you're, you know, you have a CSA or something similar. Um, so, so the spirit of the land is also present, um, and that its gifts are present, um, and then if your spirit leads you to, you can work in ancestral recipes. Um, and there may be certain ingredients that are not necessarily locally produced, but which are nonetheless easy to import and which can provide that sort of local or, or um, ancestral flavor. So like um, spices in particular, um, uh, oils tend to give a lot of fat is flavor literally. And, um, oil is the type of, of fat that's easiest usually to import from your ancestral homeland. So for us, like we're olive oil babes, we're all over it. Um, and and then when you bring all of that into your kitchen, it just sort of like comes together. And, um, as we talked about on the, um, the Substack episode a couple of weeks ago, every step of that process can be a prayer Mm. Uh, as you are working through the raw ingredients as you're incorporating the spices um, you can be adding your own blessings or asking for you know the blessings of your ancestors or um, you know of spirit or however you want to think about the divine you can be inviting that into the food which then you have the opportunity to share with people that you love. And so that to me, that is a really powerful ritual. On the one hand, it sounds 
super mundane um, and we you know we have to feed ourselves uh at least three meals a day probably so like you know we have three chances a day to uh right. to have this transcendent experience um and i think that that's just absolutely absolutely beautiful i do too i love that you pull you pull that all together that way we do take things like cooking in the kitchen and eating for granted or kind of just dismiss them as things that have to be done or have to run to the grocery store. And I love the idea that when I'm sitting there molesting the red peppers <laughs> at the supermarket, <laughs> I probably should have picked a better word, but <laughs> sometimes I'm like, people must think I am crazy if they're watching me. But I love the idea that I'm having a conversation with my ingredients and with the land. I'm, I love that. And I'm talking to them. Like, Are you going to work for me? Yeah. Nope, not, you know, you're not going to work. You're enlisting them. You're, yes, that's right. I'm enlisting them. That's terrific. So when you say, this is probably my like controlling literal mind, but when you say the spirit of the land, my first thought was, okay, so many of us are transient these days. You and I, before we started recording, we're talking about moving and this and that. So what is that land? When you say the spirit of the land, what's the lands? And also how does the land, like our ancestral land come into that? Is that part of it too? Yeah. So there's, there's the land, like a plot of land that you're living on top of and like everything that's happened to that land and everyone who's lived there. And, you know, if there are, are people who are, you know, maybe died there or who are buried there, you know, the way that they eventually become the soil, you know, and they, they become kind of like incorporated mm. into that, into that land. Um, then there's whatever land is like bearing the fruit that you're eating, like the, either the crops, the, the produce that you're eating or, um, you know, the animals, if you eat meat, um, and then for anything that's being imported as well, you have connections to that land as well, because you know, like everything comes from somewhere, right? Like yes. we, we're not growing bananas in a lab yet. I hope we never get to that point. <laughs> well, um, so we're, we're connected in this like weird sort of web of, of time and of space. Um, and then there's also, you know, all of the all of the memory that is attached to those things too, like our sense of smell in particular mm. is deeply associated with like our most primal memories. Sometimes even things that we can't consciously remember where parts of our brain are activated when we smell certain things that remind yeah. us of them. Um, so it really is about like, you know, time and space being more, more than just the kind of like linear passage of events that we're observing, but actually, you know, quite, quite interconnected in many ways. Yeah. And also being an active participant in it. I think I love this aspect of cooking and this, uh, this topic of conversation for this episode, because so often I think in, at least in this day and age, I don't know if it's always been that this way, but there's this feeling of like, how do I like interact with life? I mean, how do I feel alive? How do I do that? And cooking for some people like, like you and I is a great love and it brings us a lot of joy, but it might be that for more people, if they could incorporate some of this philosophy or truth or whatever you want to call it that you're talking about, which, which takes this kind of routine thing I have to do and makes it right. Spiritual, as we were talking about spiritual and emotional and cultural. And you're like, I'm part of this. Exactly. And, and this is an area where, you know, you and I were very similar in many ways, but we're also very different in many ways. And you grew up you grew up with the ancestral food ways. And, you know, I, I, we were talking about this a couple of days ago, like your mother taught you how to cook. Mm -hmm. And so you're really like steeped in that, in that kitchen lineage. Um, I was not taught how to, I'm mostly self-taught in the kitchen and still not as adept as a lot of people are, but that doesn't mean that it's not a sacred thing to me. Um, it just means that like the, 
um, you know, the bar for me to stretch myself is going to be different from somebody who has more like your background. So for anybody who's listening, who's more in my boat and who's thinking in terms of like, oh, I feel so, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to cook. I could burn water. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless. No, you're not hopeless. It's just about, um, you know, figuring out what is the right goal for you personally in order to take that that next step as we were talking about earlier. And so, um, you know, maybe you're not going to start by cooking a seven course meal that, you know, and especially like, you know, if you're making pasta, it's just so, so much work. Like maybe you're not, (laughs) maybe you're not going to be making everything from scratch. Maybe you're not going to be growing, you know, 100% self-sufficient on your own, um, you know, on your own land, but like, how do you get one step closer to that? Is it by going to the farmer's market instead of going to, um, a different, you know, a supermarket where most of the food is being shipped from California? Um, is it by, you know, maybe going and visiting a farm or, you know, taking a pilgrimage back to your ancestral land to see how the food is grown and prepared there, or like, you know, maybe taking a class. If you don't know how to make pasta, but you've always wanted to know how, you can take a class on that and you can, um, you know, see it in person for the first time. And that might be a better step for you to take than putting all this pressure on yourself to be able to do everything from scratch and be entirely self-sufficient. Because even the people who are really deep on that trip of like reconnecting with the land and, and, you know, uh, connecting with, their ancestral food ways, uh, you know, they're still not 100% self-sufficient either for, for the most part. Like it's, you know, we're, we are interdependent, um, at this, at this stage in history and that's just how it, how it works. Well, and they also started somewhere. They, they, exactly. You know, we have this idea that when you have somebody you, that you see and that you admire, and maybe you, you kind of want a life similar to theirs that you can't have it, but those people just started. And I talk a lot about how, you know, I didn't, like, okay, this is a great example. I harvested my first lavender harvest this morning. Yes. <laughs> it was awesome. I was like, this is so great. I've been wanting to grow lavender for so long, forever. Last year, I got a couple organic tiny plants. They were small. I planted them. I stepped back. I was like, these things are never going to grow. <laughs> these are so small. And nothing grew last year. And even this year, started to get warm out there cleaning up the garden. And I'm thinking they're still really small. And then, you know what? Magic happened. Sun started, warmth came, you know, nature took its course and they just, they just sprouted and they bloomed. And I went out there this morning and I could not believe how much there was. I didn't think I would, right. I didn't think I would be able to harvest any this year. I'm good. And there's more growing. So I, I mean, you have to harvest it. So it'll grow again. So I think I'll get another crop before the summer ends, which is great. And my point here is there was a time where I would go to like a whole foods and buy lavender oil. Just taking a quick break from the conversation here, folks, to remind you that dry farm wines remains a partner of the Bella Figura podcast And I love this company for all the reasons I've been talking about since season two. Dry farm wines sources organic, biodynamic wines from around the world, from small, old world vineyards run by families, run in the way that you and I think is so valuable. Dry farm wines are my favorite. They have made it so it's really difficult for me to go out and just order any old glass of wine from a random restaurant, I really have gotten very selective and I think that's a blessing. It makes me drink better, not more. It makes my palate more refined instead of just consuming whatever I can get my hands on and not thinking about what's in that wine. The wines that we buy at the store in large part are full of chemicals, they're full of dyes, They have heaps of added sugar, refined sugar, so that you are really drinking 
way more toxicity than grapes. Not the case with dry farm wines. They will send you every month or every two months or every three months, whatever it is you choose, whatever works best for your lifestyle. Beautiful, clean, organic wines with no added toxins, no added sugars, and no added dyes. This is beautiful wine that you can feel good about putting on your table and serving it to your family and friends. And Dry Farm Wines offers Bella Figura listeners a bottle for just a penny in your first order. If you use my link, dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura, and I will also link to that in the show notes. Go over and check it out, guys. I promise you, if you try it, just try three bottles for one one month for one shipment. Get yourself for this summer a beautiful collection of sparkling white wines and then send me a message to thank me because I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And okay, I know I know a bit about what lavender can do for you and your body and calm and peace. Or I would go and buy some dried lavender or even fresh lavender and dry it myself. I didn't like wake up born with lavender growing that I harvested. Like you, you know what I mean? You get there. It just takes time, you know? And, and I still have so many goals that I want to get to, but I have tremendously added in being way more connected to nature and the seasons and what's in season and cooking for my family, going to farms. I mean, I almost, at this point, I would say, I mean, on occasion, I go to the grocery store to buy meat or eggs. It's, it's pretty much all at farms that local farms, people that I know that I talk to when I go and you can just start that way. But I know that my next step is having my own chickens. My husband and I were talking about it all the time. We we have some travel planned for this year or else we would have probably pulled the trigger on that already. You're also hitting on, you know, as we, as we, when you work with food, you know, preparing it, eating it, enjoying it, learning about it with intention and with your, you know, your spirit directed towards your, your ancestors and the spirits of the land and so on. Like you, you start to learn certain lessons just through observation. And I think one thing that you're touching on it, that's really one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from an ancestral uh, attitude towards food is like, you don't get to pick, we humans do not get to pick when the tomatoes are harvested. Mm, right. God sets that date. That's we don't right. pick it. And if you're, you, you have to give yourself and your own process at least as much respect as you give those tomatoes. Hmm. You don't get to pick the timeline you know, you just, you go out there and you tend to whatever seeds you've planted and you have faith that if you tend to them, you know, really conscientiously that eventually they will bear fruit and you'll get to enjoy that fruit. And, uh, you know, it's the same with a lot of things in life. It is, it is, it's well said. And also what you receive when you immerse yourself more in that. So when you become someone who's, who's, not just running into the grocery store, snatching whatever they can, throwing it in their bag and running out. When you become someone who does pay attention to like what you're picking, does pay attention to what quality it is, who grew it, how it was grown, what kind of travel it had to take to get to you, uh, you, you become more, like it's a way of becoming more patient. It's a way of slowing down. This was just the theme obviously of this season. It's a way of slowing down. You just accept like this is now. That's then. And when I get, when we get there, that's, that's not a time to worry about right now. Like the lavender metaphor, a lot of people would have, could have looked at those plants and been like, oh, what's the point or, you know, like it's going to be years before I can harvest something. But if you don't plant it now and have patience and faith, you're, ne- you're never going to have this kind of beautiful morning I had where I went out there and, and was able to pick it all. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about food. We're talking about the kitchen and we're too, I'm semi-young, you're young. We're <laughs> modern women who have been told most of our lives by society that 
we need to get out of the kitchen and be doing quote unquote, more important things. And I think that's, uh, there's a couple angles. So I, I was hoping you would just comment a little bit on that, but I also just want to speak for myself and say, every, if everything comes together in the kitchen, there's something to me dark and twisted about a society that messages you sh- being in your kitchen is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you've thought of that. It, it almost seems to me like whether it's conscious or not conscious, it's a ploy to make us sick and miserable and unhappy and connected to yeah. nothing. Yeah. I Well, I think part of the reason why, ironically, why we get that message that being in the kitchen is a waste of time is precisely because historically the kitchen has been associated with women. And what are the things that uh, get received the most vitriol in our culture are the things that are associated with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, I think it's, as a woman, you're often in this kind of like double bind where no matter what you do, it's going to be wrong. There's going to be someone telling you that like, you should either be more traditional or more modern. And uh that means to me, at least that I just need to like put my blinders on and do what I know to be sacred. And I regard the kitchen, regardless of whether it's a, you know, there's a woman cooking or a man cooking, like the kitchen is a temple. It is a holy space. And that labor is sacred labor. Um, But I also feel the spark of the divine at my day job in technology where, you know, I I work on, uh, you know, technology that allows creative people like you and me to, um, you know, to pursue our passions and to connect with our audience and to, you know, ultimately to to, um, be able to fund that those projects. Um, So I think, you know, if you there's always going to be all of this background noise. Um, and there's always going to be, you know, unwelcome opinions <laughs> from from people, you know, advice or or uh, you know criticism or whatever it is. Um, and so just you know, staying focused on where you know if, if you're if you're seeing God in the kitchen, like go to the kitchen. It doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. Right. Go to the kitchen and be with God. <laughs> right. No, I love that. And I I have to say one thing about growing up the way I did that I really appreciate is the work of women was really honored Mm. and really respected. And I, I think there's a stereotype on the outside looking in that Southern Italian culture or Italian culture in general, perhaps is uh, very patriarchal. And I think that comes from, you know, maybe like the Sopranos and the Godfather and all that, which the, you know, like the Godfather is a movie about men. It's not really a movie about women. Mm-hmm. If, right. If I wrote the Godfather, it would have been more about the women. Yeah. So, so you kind of have to take that with like a grain of salt for a million reasons, but that's, let's not go there. So, but I mean, for me, sure. My dad was like the head of the household. Mm, kind of. Like my mom was, there's almost this understanding among pretty much nearly everybody I grew up around, aunts, uncles, that we all pretended the men (laughs) ran things and were the head of the household because in such a tight knit, um, in, in a, in a community that so respects like the tight knit nature of a family, you don't want to cut your men down. Mm -hmm right? You don't want to, you don't want to undermine them. And, and part of that is letting them have this quote unquote traditional manhood. And and my father knew that my mother was in charge. He knew it. We knew it. Everybody who came over knew it, you know, and her work was just respected what she did with the cooking, the cleaning, the preserving the garden. My father also was, was a big part of the garden too, but 
I really appreciate that because it gave me a sense that these were, even though I struggled with it at different parts of my life, this was not something that I had to have disdain for, but the struggle was I was growing up in American society and I did feel that I did feel Mm. that way. It was something to not be proud of if I wanted to be modern, spiritual, we've been touching on it, but the more spiritual and emotional aspects of cooking and why it matters. And I, we can segue by me saying I went through so many years where I didn't eat bread. I didn't eat pasta. I didn't cook with, you know, flour and butter and all the like things that now give me so much joy. It was just like, you know, trying to make things with like coconut flour and, and like just be carb free and stuff like that. So life didn't feel as rich as it does now. And I realize now why, but I was you know, hoping you could talk a little bit about why that is. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's very, very interesting because on the one hand, uh, what, what we learn from, from the Catholic church actually, and from the mysteries of Ash Wednesday and, and the Lenten mysteries is that the way that we heal our relationship with the physical world is through fasting, is mm. through not eating the thing. If our relationship with that thing has become, uh, you know, problematic hmm. and by taking a break and allowing ourselves to miss that thing, it's, you know, potentially safer to reincorporate it later on. Um, so I, I do think that a lot of people who feel the need to abstain from certain substances, you know, it's very possible that their spirit is leading them into like some kind of period of abstinence to heal that relationship. And then to, you know, to read, to rejoin that relationship later on. But I think we, we really don't understand the spiritual principle of that type of fast. And so instead, what we, what the narrative that we have in our culture right now is like, we're just constantly pointing at different foods and saying thing equal bad. And, you know, it was like when I was growing up and, and I think, you know, when, when you were, cause I think we're basically the same age. Um, I don't know where you were coming at me earlier. I just feel like everyone's younger than me. (laughs) I feel the same way too. I work in technology, so I'm ancient uh, compared to my, uh, I think we're around the same era. Yeah. I just feel like everyone's younger than me. We're on the same era. (laughs) So when we were growing up, it was like reduced fat, everything, low fat, this, low fat, fat. And now it's changed. And now it's like, okay, we're, we're maybe okay with fat, but now carbs, carbs are the enemy. everything's got to be keto this low carb that Mm -hmm. um and so uh one you know one one point to keep in mind is that one of person's fast may be your feast like just because somebody got a lot out of removing gluten from their diet doesn't mean that you're going to get a lot Mm. out of removing gluten from your diet and two some taboos may be intended to be for life but some of them are temporary you know, some of them is just like, ah, oh, maybe I should just go a month without sugar and then I can have a slice of cake again. Right. Um, so we don't need to go so black and white extreme thinking of like, I'm just never going to eat pasta again because I need to avoid carbs. Um, that's my that's my thought on it. I also think that like, you know, ancestral foods in particular, I I would be personally, just, just speaking from my own experience, there's always going to be an exception to a rule. I would be very surprised if I met someone who had a personal, like their spirit had a lifelong taboo against one of their core ancestral foods. It could happen. It could be a part of some kind of like really deep multi-generational, um, like Mm. process. Um, but I think most of us are not meant to live without, uh, you know, without any of our core ancestral foods for the entirety of our lives. Um, you know, maybe something like me, I'm allergic to eggplant. I don't eat eggplant. That's a taboo that my body upholds for me. And that's a big thing in a lot of parts of Italy, but like, you know, most of us were meant to be engaging with them on some level, you know, maybe even if it's just once every 10 years. Wow. 
So you're saying when I went through that period where I wasn't eating much of anything, basically Italian, that that was a kind of unconscious spiritual fast. So I could return to it renewed and in a new way. That's what it sounds like to me. I think, you know, I think our instincts are right often. It's just that the way that we interpret them and execute on them is often flawed or at the very least we need to continue up leveling our understanding of, of what we were doing at the time. I'm like, leave it up to you. That is, (laughs) I have never thought of it that way. Never. I've thought of it in terms of, you know, what society is always trying to sell us, right? Like the, the simplest ingredients that I use now, I mean, I bought seeds, I'm growing my own food. You know, it's like, they want to sell me these alternative flowers and things like that. But, and I've thought of it as just like, you know, not giving yourself that kind of uh, joy that ancestral foods give you, but I hadn't thought of that, that it was, and, and that would make a lot of sense. I mean, it does. I've been, I've said several times here that I've struggled for so long when I was younger, trying to kind of find that balance or feeling like I had to be two, I mean, it had to be one side of my two sides. And that was me maybe, yeah, like going through straightening it out and finding this, which I've never felt more comfortable now. Mm. In the yeah, shoot. I'm glad. Well done. This is why I talked to you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive a little bit into, well, we keep talking about ancestral ingredients and connecting with your ancestors in the kitchen and all, and all these spirits coming together in the kitchen. Let's talk a little bit about what we mean by ancestral ingredients. Let's start there. Yeah, it's um, certain. So, so all food is very symbolically potent. Like when you, when you think about what we need to survive, uh, really, you know, we need, we need water, we need food, we need air. Most of the rest of it is optional, but like those three things we, we really need to, uh, you know, if we want to keep living, um, water and air, nature provides those for us. We don't need to make them ourselves food though. That's the thing that requires some degree of human ingenuity in order to produce. So it is, uh, it sits at this intersection of like the core things that we need to survive and the things that our ancestors learned how to prepare. And so all of their, you know, all of their knowledge and their wisdom that, you know, their mysteries, I believe come out when we learn how to do physical things as opposed to like just talking about stuff. Like talking is great. I love talking. I have four planets in Gemini. I could talk all day, (laughs) but why do I have things to talk about? Because I do physical stuff. Right. Uh, And then I have realizations when I'm doing it. Um, You know, like, like the realization that we shared earlier about, you know, like tomatoes, God picks when, when, Mm. when they're ready to harvest, you know, you, you get sort of gems like that when you're making pasta, for example. Um, And so food, you know, when you learn how to prepare, work with ancestral ingredients, they all have their own kind of symbolic symbolic value. And, and some of them will immediately start speaking to you and you'll, you'll just kind of like know what it means um, because they all mean many things. So like, you know, if you're feeling something, chances are it's correct. <laughs> um, you know, symbols are, are rich and, and fascinating and huge in that way. Um, and then also the processes, the physical processes through which we prepare food teach us things in this kind of al- alchemical way as well as we watch those ingredients become become transformed so i think when we're when we're making pasta for example it's an extremely extremely labor-intensive process and uh i think cross-culturally you will find this theme as well which is like the things that are common you know plentiful easy to get a hold of can be transformed into like truly transcendent experiences, you know, things that are just like so delicious that it's mind blowing through a lot of time and through a lot of labor. Mm. Um, Barbecue, what do you barbecue? You usually barbecue the cheapest cuts. Mm. 
and through a very low and slow uh, cooking process that is very labor intensive to set up and takes hours to um, to work, it becomes transformed into this like, you know, divine sort of experience. You know, you, it's one of those things where you take a bite and then your brain just immediately starts firing mm -hmm. on all cylinders because it's yeah. just so delicious. Right. And so I think that that's one of the you know, one of the lessons that we learn from something as humble as pasta is like, you know, if you, if you want a beautiful experience, be aware that life is a struggle. Staying alive is hard. Getting, you know, giving birth is hard. Being born is hard. Staying alive is hard, mm. but through hard work, we can take the raw materials of life and we can turn them into something absolutely delicious and joyful and share it with other people. You're speaking my language. I mean, this is one of the hard work. This is something I talk about a lot, uh, both on Instagram and on the show. It's also something that I feel like has been kind of erased out of our culture. You're supposed to work hard at work, like give your company everything and then come home and your reward is sitting on the couch watching TV, Not watching TV. And I don't get me wrong. I, I know the feeling of like, I'm so tired. I can't move after I just worked all day. Like, I, you know, this is not like a criticism of people, um, who have long commutes and et cetera, N nothing like that. I get it. I've been there many, many times, many years, but I do think until you have a moment where you, or several moments where you realize that the goal of our current society is leisure you don't really realize how much of life you're in, not interacting with, like how much you're missing out on. Because mm, yeah. like you just said, some of the richest experiences come from hard work. And, exactly. Right? Like it's, it's a real thing that we have to understand. So if you're feeling like you are, you know, you don't know, why your days don't feel more joyful, why you feel empty, why you don't feel fulfilled, why you feel like something is missing, there's a good chance it's because you're just doing exhaustive work and not hard work that gives you a, a spiritual reward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find that balance because to survive in the present economic system, mm -hmm. it's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to like, you know, yeah, to, to strike that balance and to rescue back bits and pieces of right. your, your energy to use on other things. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't have an answer to this. Like I struggle with this I same was just thing every that. single day. I was just thinking, I don't have an answer to it. I just, yeah. An easier said than done answer is, you know, get another job. But that's easier said than done in many situations, right? Get a job. I mean, I worked a really crazy job for four years. And I'll tell you, I had many moments where I felt that kind of emptiness because mm -hmm. I could not do the things that I do now on a regular basis. And I felt it, it caught up to me. Um, and then I made some big changes to be able to walk away from that. Not everybody can do that. I couldn't do it for a really long time. Have we made some sacrifices? Yep. But it's worth it, you know? And I mean, everyone can kind of balance that out for themselves. Like how sick do you feel? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, really, how sick do you feel? Because that's yeah. a good gauge of like how drastic of a change you should make, you know? Yeah. It's, it's also, uh, I think everybody... The, t the timing is a really crucial element. Yep. Um, your, you know, how much you've saved, what your economic position mm -hmm. is, like all of these things. It's an extraordinarily complicated decision to make. What, what we all need to be doing is just being like aware of what the problem is, <laughs> like, and to yeah. not sleep on what the problem is, um, to not numb ourselves through it, through, you know, whatever your favorite numbing mechanism is, whether that's alcohol or social media or, you know, whatever, whatever it yeah. is to also have compassion for one another. Like part of the reason why our jobs are so draining is because we're, many of us are working with people who are drained. 
Mm. Um, and I remember this from a, you know, one of my recent uh, jobs in retrospect, none of the problems that we were all freaking out about the whole time were actually problems. It was just the fact that we were surrounded by people who were freaking out all the time. That right. was the problem. Yep. Um, and so you get into this state of, of inflammation that is really hard to de-escalate from once you're in that state, especially when you're surrounded by other people who are in that state. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, there's no, there's no easy answer. I wish it were as simple as just like encouraging more people to quit their day jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. but, uh, but I do, I think, you know, we, we encounter these problems for a reason. Like when we chose to incarnate now, we chose the good and the bad of this moment, you know, earth school ain't easy. Life is a struggle. There is. <laughs> Life is a struggle and food is very much a symbol of um, both the struggle and the joy of life. In some ways, it's like, what, what can I learn from that process of making pasta that I can apply to my career and my, my life more broadly? Right. What I was thinking while you were talking was that I didn't get to that point all at once, the opportunity to leave that kind of work arose because I started to implement things drop by drop into my life when I could. So mm -hmm. when my, you know, I had my phone, I had a Blackberry. So when the Blackberry wasn't dinging in the rare moments, it wasn't dinging, I would maybe start making some pasta. Or mm -hmm. if I had a quiet weekend, I might, you know, go out and pick some herbs. I couldn't have mm -hmm. a huge garden or maybe I'd just be at my mom's and she, you know, in her garden and I would just pick a few things and then maybe cook with them. So you just like add stuff in little by little, the way, the way you do, you know, any kind of like adding drops of water into a jar. And then all of a sudden it's a full jar. And as we said earlier, it's this putting your, for lack of a less woo-woo word, like intention out. And then you just take one step, another step, another step. And then you'll, here it is four years later and life is kind of meeting me at what I've built internally. Like I just, I lived in that world, but I, I brought things in that made me feel more like myself until life was ready, like we keep talking about for me to make that change. And something yeah. like, right. Does that, does that make sense to you? Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, if you read any, any book on like habit formation, you know, how to form healthy, healthy habits or about uh, self-improvement, you know, they, they'll all tell you the same thing, which is like, don't try to overhaul your life overnight. Right. Try to be 1% better today than you were yesterday. And at the end of a year, that compounds to something you'll be un if you can do that every day, 1%, you will be unrecognizable mm. at the end of a year. Yep. And that's, things that's that seem impossible today will suddenly be easy. Perfectly said. Yeah. Uh, that's a, very well said because there was a time where the idea of leaving that job seemed impossible. And then there was a point where it was a lot easier to do. It's, it's like magic. Yeah. Like mad, like magic. Exactly. Yeah. And you bring that magic in yourself. So Mallory, as usual, we've been talking for more than an hour and I, I'm no, I know Joe feel like we just started. <laughs> it's like a sickness you and I have. Um, so I do want to, I do want to start wrapping up a little bit in respect of your time are going to talk a little while longer, Mallory and I, but that conversation is going to be available only over on Substack. So if you want to hear us continue talking about this topic, Mallory, I think we're going to dive into some specific practices you can get into to connect with your ancestors in the kitchen, uh, some specific ways you can use cooking and connecting with your ancestors to slow down, to feel like you're living a life more in tune with who you really want to be, right? And the life that you want, but you're going to have to come over to Substack to hear that it's linked below in 
the show notes. So for now, I'll just, let's just sign off to everyone listening. Mallory, thanks for joining me. You're a wonderful guest as always. Thank you again for having me. This was fantastic. Okay, my friends, thank you again so much for joining me for another episode of Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow the show on Apple or Spotify. It definitely helps me to get noticed and get the show out to more people. And please, if you haven't already, consider leaving a review. For reviews, also do the same thing. And they also help me to get some of these terrific guests that I've been getting on the show. Don't forget to find me over on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.